Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and this show is all about getting unstuck, getting out of your own way, taking action, moving forward, and building momentum as you go. Now, whether you're running your own business or you're starting a side hustle or you're just taking on a very important project in your life, this is the show for you. This is a show where we talk to regular people who are up to extraordinary things and find out how do they do it? Because that's what I take inspiration from when I see people just like me and I think, man, if they can do it, I can do it too. So listen in, join in the journey, and let me know, how are you moving forward? What actions are you going to take right now today? Hey, good day, all. This is Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards, and I am with Jason Lawrenson today. Jason, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Wow, that's a, that's a really broad place to start. Who am I? I am a... Uh... Well, personally, I'm a, a father and a husband and a, uh, an occupant or, or a resident of the great state of Nebraska. Um, I have, uh, I'm married and have three kids. The oldest is 21, and then I have a 10 and a newly or an almost newly minted nine-year-old. So that's the most important stuff. But I suspect you mean, what do I do professionally? And that is I... I do a few things, but the biggest are I'm a, a keynote speaker. So I'm one of those crazy people that makes a living getting up in front of people and telling stories and talking about ideas. Um, and then I also, I've written a couple of books now. I do a lot of writing and a little bit of consulting. Um, and that's, uh, and my, my, my domain of expertise is I'm super interested in employee engagement, employee experience, making work suck less for people. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Awesome. So making work suck less. Um, you, you mentioned something in there. I mean, so keynote speaker, writer, consultant, I mean, these are all, I don't know. I, I think of them as kind of dream careers or, or kind of almost trophy careers. You know, it's like that, that thing that people want to do, you know, be up on the stage or write that great book that everyone loves. It, at least it, it seems like I know so many people who want to take that on. Um, and yet that's nothing that anyone, you know, when they're in fourth grade thinking about what they want to do for their dream career, no one says, Hey, I want to be a keynote speaker. Right. And so, so how do you get there? Like, what what's that journey to actually being able to be up on stage and, and by the way make a living at it? You know, well, the one thing I have found is that I think I think there's a very very small group of people who actually want to be a keynote speaker because um, I think we happen to know a number of people in in uh, in our sphere of 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 mutual connections or whatever due to the nature of what we do and the people we're drawn to that probably are interested in it for a variety of reasons. But I think most people are sort of terrified by what I do for a living. They're like, you do what? You get up in front of people? Like I avoid that at all costs. Um, but f for me, uh, when I look back at it, you're right. I mean, it, I didn't even realize it was something you could do for a career, despite the fact that I've seen motivational speakers and I've, I've seen other speakers that got up and did it. It never even occurred to me that that was something that you could actually make a living at, um, it, not to mention a good living at. Right. And so, um, uh, how do you, you know, I don't, I don't know. My, my path was very, on some level, I, I think it was, it feels predestined when I look back at it just because of all of, if I think back about my skills and kind of the things that I was even good at, if I go back clear to like high school and what I was up to and what I was interested in and, and that kind of thing. But a lot of it happened kind of by accident. Um, initially, 
I got invited to speak at a couple of conferences back when I was an HR guy and we were doing some interesting stuff um, in our organization, some places that wanted us to share our story. And so I, I did that a couple of times and realized I really liked it and I was fairly good at it. I got good feedback. I was doing some volunteer work in the community and ended up doing some speaking as a part of that because I enjoyed speaking and and was fairly effective as a communicator. So that was another data point. And then somewhere along the line, and I, I, I'm trying to remember even how it happened, there was sort of a, well, and actually I do know how it happened. So early on, my colleague Joe Gerstant and I, and we've been friends now, he's you know colleague, I say, because we do work together, but we've been best friends for 20 years now. Um, he and I did some speaking together early on through some of that community stuff. And one day we were sitting over breakfast and um, the the conversation came up that it's like, hey, we, you know, people kind of enjoy us doing these presentations. And this was all volunteer stuff we were doing. Like, we're pretty good at it. We enjoy doing it. Like, I wonder if, like, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are speaking and get paid to speak that kind of suck. And we're certainly at least better than them. So I wonder if we could actually get paid for this. And that was kind of where it started. Um so, so Jason, I, I love that, um, you know, in that it, it's not like this master plan of, hey, one day I'm going to be a keynote speaker. It's more of it, it kind of grew up naturally, organically. And then one day you're sitting around going, hey, we could do this. It is kind of. And I mean, I, I would say on some level, once that kind of clicked or once I understood like, you know, you can get paid for this, or at least there are people that do get paid for this. It started to come into my, you know, that's where it started to enter my thinking. And that was probably, I don't know, it was in my uh, mid twenties, maybe uh, mid to late twenties that that's, that idea came into my head. And then that became part of a trajectory, right? Then it became part of like, okay, career plan. I want this to be part of what I do for a living. And so then I started being a lot more intentional and a lot more thoughtful about looking for opportunities, developing my craft, studying how to get good at it. But it started sort of accidentally. You have to, I had to discover that this was something that not only I could do, that I wanted to do and enjoyed doing. Yeah. So, I mean, early on, it's like the side hustle of, because that's not your day job. I mean, as you mentioned, it, it, the topic's related to your day job, but you were getting paid to do other stuff. I was, and, and then, and then this kind of evolves out of that. Um, so when when we think about what, well, okay, so you're right. Early on, you mentioned it, it's probably survivorship bias in the sense that the the people that that inhabit my network, that inhabit your network, they enjoy doing it, um, and I'm and I don't see all the people who are just terrified about public speaking. And yet, when I think of the career advice that I give to people, like being able to speak in public is probably the number one thing I'll tell them, regardless of what your career is, be able to communicate in front of a crowd. And, you know, I think often we, we think of this myth that you have to be Tony Robbins to, you know, command an audience to, to speak in front of the crowd. And yet, I mean, you, you bring up Joe, uh, you and Joe are actually two, two of my favorite speakers. And yet you have very different styles. You and Joe are very different people. And I don't think either of you really fit the mold of what most people would think of when they think of a, a keynote speaker, when they think of a motivational speaker. From your perspective, what what's most important about public speaking? I mean, like if we think about that, not everyone wants to be a keynote speaker, but the, the ability is something that would help anyone regardless of what job they're in, regardless of their career. 
what advice would you give to someone? How do they get better at that? It's a great question. I get asked that um, fairly regularly. And I, I think the, the biggest thing that I would say that people overlook is the importance of preparation and practice. You know, I think, I think it's a, there's a, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you are frightened or, you know, if you have that anxiety about speaking in front of people, which I know a lot of people do, I know speaking in front of, you know, public speaking is one of the top rated fears, um, for people broadly, um, in a lot of studies. And so the thing that they overlook about that is, well, if you're afraid, being unprepared or underprepared or not knowing what you're going to say makes it worse. It amplifies the anxiety. It amplifies that you're going to, you're going to have some nerves no matter what. So, so I love that Jason, you know, that you mentioned that, that you still get nervous because that's kind of the myth. I think that you just kind of, a good speaker just kind of rocks up to the mic and speaks from the heart and it's this amazing thing. And then, uh, you know, everyone cheers and it kind of misses that, no, there, there, there's a lot that happens in the background. Um, I remember hearing a couple of musicians, you know, it was kind of compare and contrasting. One, one was talking about how they're just terrified of getting on stage and, you know, they get nervous, they get sweaty, their stomach does flips and, you know, they feel their heart rate go up. And another, another singer's described the exact same symptoms, but said, you know, that's how I know I'm excited. That I love that part when my stomach's doing flips and I'm sweating and I'm nervous and I know it's all about to happen. Um, I, you know, I, I thought there was going to be a question at the end of that, Jason, no. actually, I'm not no, sure. I, that there no, is, I think that's you know? I, one of the, the way I I've said to many times, many people that are, I've told many people that for stuff like this, that like, if you're not nervous, it probably doesn't matter or you don't care. Mm. And because I care, because it's important to me, every time I go out and get a chance to speak, sometimes, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, I don't probably have the same kinds of nerves that a lot of people do when they're going to speak. It's a different kind of nervous energy. It's a different, because I, it's important to me that I communicate well to those people and I have an impact and that I do a great job for them. I want to, you know, I want to be my very best. I'm going to be in front of this group. There's some pressure there and there's expectation and all of that. And so the nervous energy to me is a signal that like I'm ready and it, and that I care that I, you know, that I'm really, that I'm really focused and dialed in. And so it's something you feed off of. And I think when you recognize that, that it is a, a signal that you care or that this matters, then it makes it something you don't have to be as frightened of or distracted by you say hey, okay this is this is a good sign and then you lean into it and you go and if you're well prepared then you don't have to it won't get in your way nice so so much more of a it's a signal of a go moment versus a stop moment exactly so you're, you're right a lot of people can't relate to being a keynote speaker but I, I think they can relate to kind of the the side gig evolving into something that they want to do and you mentioned writing and we could spend days talking about what it takes to be a writer. I, I suspect uh, it, it's kind of parallel to what we just talked about being a keynote speaker. You know, a lot of the work is done behind the scenes it, and um, it's not something that you just quit your day job and then immediately become a writer. You know, it's something that evolves over time. So let me ask this, you know, what's, what are kind of the, the challenges or the realities of what you do? I mean, this, this sounds good. You've taken this, the side hustle, you've turned it into, I'll call it a dream job. Um, 
But what's the reality that you wish people knew when they say, man, Jason, that's so cool that you get to do just what you want to do? I, I mean, I think the rea- so the reality on some level is that I I do get, you know, I, I step back and I remind myself, I practice gratitude all the time because I think because it's easy to get focused on the stuff that's hard. It's easy to get focused on like, you know, I'm two years at this point, just about two years removed from my last uh, role where I was collecting a regular paycheck, which takes some of the pressure off of finances. Two years, I'm we're still trying to you know build a business. My wife works with me in the business, so my entire family is on this roller coaster of entrepreneurship, which means cash flow. Sometimes we feel you know we're in a great place, and other times we're not. Other times, you know, you can even have tons of business booked, but your cash flow situation makes you feel like, like, what are we doing? We don't have any, how how is it possible that we have cash flow challenges? How is it possible that we're struggling this month to, um, to pay the mortgage or whatever? There's, there's those things that happen. And, and so my business is still, is still growing and evolving, even though I've been speaking. I mean, I, you mentioned side hustle at first. I mean, my speaking was a side hustle for a decade. Um, and so, it, and, and as a side hustle, I was building skills and I was building some brand and building some credibility, but it's a very different thing to take that side hustle when you turn it into full time and you're on the roller coaster and there's no safety net, there's a lot more stress than what you, um, what you would expect. And even when from the outside looking in, it looks like everything is is rolling. It, it, sometimes that that rolling can be really positive, and it can feel it converts very directly and immediately into cash flow. And sometimes it takes time. And so I think that's part of the reality. But on the other hand, I, I I'm okay with that because most of what I get to do most days is stuff I choose to do, and it's work that I enjoy doing. And a lot of it is stuff that. You know, at times I've done similar things for free, uh, just because I love I love I love writing, I love speaking, I love talking about and developing ideas, I love connecting with people and helping them get better, providing advice on how to how to build better workplaces or how to do better work. So there's there is a lot of reality. It's also hard work and balancing that stress, but. Uh, I try not to complain too much because I feel like overall I have a really, really, I'm really blessed in where I'm at and what I'm able to do on a daily basis. Um, and I'm excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's fantastic. You know, that's the kind of the, the living the dream thing that it is the dream, but that doesn't mean there's not hard work. That doesn't mean there's not tough days. In fact, you touched on something there that I think most people who are trying to start off on on their own business or their own gig, whether it's full time or just a side thing, is that cash flow is kind of king. You, you can make a really good living, and without <laughs> without the cash flow being steady, it gets really lumpy, and it it can be very tough when you know your year is good, but man, that summer was you were totally broke. That's right, and it and the thing I think that the hard part of it has been for us and i and i've learned this i mean this is my third go round on being self-employed the first two ended in i i would say i mean certainly not success i didn't remain self-employed and so they were both failures in that regards the second one was sort of a crash and burn failure 
Um, so this is the third time through. And one of the things that I've learned is you have to be, you know, you do your planning and you get your, you know, you get, you have to be committed to a path and you have to be willing, you have to maintain some discipline to that path as, you know, when, when cash flow does become a pinch or when things are slow. And I go through that at times where, and I think most speakers that are building their business or even that have been at it for a long time, there's times where leads are raining in and it feels really good. And you're like, wow, we're, we're crushing it. We're getting tons of inquiries and things are going really well. And then there's other times where you might go, you might go for some period of time and no new leads come in and you start to feel like, you know, there's this weird kind of panic that's like, well, what should we be doing? Are we doing the right thing? You start to question things. You have to be able to maintain the course. You've got to be able to to push through and stay stay with it during that time because if you don't, um, that's where the mistakes get made. And I think that's where we thwart our own success. We lose confidence or focus. Um, so that's that's been a big one for me um, is maintaining that discipline and staying with it even when it's tough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, a friend of mine whose parents had a recording studio, he kind of mentioned that they, so often you, you get people who are entrepreneurial and when it's times are good, they complain they're too busy. And then when times are bad, they complain they don't have money. And he said, you got to look at it just totally opposite. You've got to enjoy both ends for what they're worth, you know, <laughs> enjoy the money when it's rolling in. And when it's quiet, enjoy a little bit of downtime to regroup um, and not give in to that, that stress. Absolutely. So, and you mentioned, I mean, so you've hit on a couple things here and actually, you know, you've, you mentioned on a ton of things, but you know, the idea that, you know, you were, you, you were speaking for 10 years before you were able to turn it into any kind of a, a career that, you know, this is your third go around on, on a business and, you know, and, and sometimes that's a, a soft landing when you're self-employed because businesses see what you're doing and they say, Hey, come join us. We'd love to have you do that internally here. And then sometimes, as you mentioned, it's a little more of a crash and burn landing. But all of that kind of defies the, the myth of that, you know, success is easy. You take this course, you, you do this stuff online, and, and then suddenly the, the money's rolling in. I mean, this is, you, you've mentioned, you know, a decade, three attempts between self-employed, between being employed with somewhere else. In fact, one, one of the, the reasons I reached out to you to be on this, this show is that you had done an article really around failure. And what can be taken from that? And can you just get, kind of give high level for you? What What is the the, the benefit of failure? What, what do you take from it? And, and if I, at risk of throwing too many questions at you at once, you know, where is that point where you say, no, I per, I'll persist and that will bring my success versus no, I've just got to cut my losses because I'm just beating my head against the wall. Wow. Uh, so there's a lot of questions built in there. So I'll start with, I'll start with a perspective about failure. For me, what I have learned, I, you know, th there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, and there's a lot of articles have been written out the, about failure. And the main perspective that's usually taken is, well, failure is learning and we turn our failures into learning and all of that is true. And one of, I've, I've said for years that one of my greatest skills is making sort of big colossal errors in my life, mistakes, mess ups. Like I point to my starter marriage. My first marriage was a completely, 
you know, I was young and it was a really bad choice. Neither one of um, my, my ex-wife or I, we should not have been getting married. Neither one of us were ready to get married. It, it ended up being a total and utter train wreck um, in the 18 and 20 months or 20 months we were together. But I learned a ton through that experience. And then it taught me how to be, you know, in, in the subsequent relationships that did not work were all preparation to do it right when I finally met my wife that I am married to today that I will be with forever. And so it was all preparation, but I think the learning is a piece of it. The other piece of it is when you fail. And for me, at least I started making, you know, having failures early on and I, I, we all do, but there were some fairly big, you know, I wrecked my, my, my parents gave me a, a car on my 16th birthday. I wrecked it three, totaled it three months later. I mean, I've done some really dumb things starting early in my life. And those failures have taught me that it's not, it's not permanent. It's not fatal. And when you, when you recognize that you can fail and recover or fail and bounce, I mean, the first two businesses I started both failed but I bounced. I've been broke. I've like all these things have happened. I've I've made a lot of mistakes. And along the way, I realized that when you make those mistakes, you, you know, they're not they're not the end of the road. They're just a point in time where the the bet you took didn't play off, play out. But I've also made a lot of bets and took a lot of risks that have paid off and that have been really valuable. So to me, taking risks that can potentially lead to failure. And hopefully some of them do lead to failure because if, if you're not failing, you're not taking enough risks. And if you're not taking risks, risks, you're not going to be able to move forward in a meaningful way, or you're not going to be able to do the kinds of big things that lead you towards dream jobs or being able to do really exceptional things. So from, from that standpoint, I think that's what part of what's really important about failures. I'm not afraid to fail anymore. I've failed at about everything not that I want to fail. I don't like failure. Failure sucks and it hurts, but I'm not afraid of it because I know I can survive. So that's where starting a business is like, what's the worst that can happen? If my business doesn't work, I got to go find a job. I've had jobs before, right? Not ideal, but I can make that work. And so, uh, so that's where, that's where my perspective is on failure. Well, well, let me jump in right there, Jason, because I mean, you just said some really powerful things. You know, the, the idea that you fail before. I mean, we've all failed before, but one of the key lessons you took from it was, yeah, and I can survive that. You know, there, there's, it, it will suck. It will be bad. I won't enjoy it, but I can come back from it. I have before and I, and I will again. And, and you also mentioned the idea uh, that just, you know, if you're not failing, you're not taking enough risks. Uh, when, when I was growing up, I, I used to race motocross, you know, race motorcycles. And, and there was a saying that, you know, if you're not crashing occasionally, you're not going mm -hmm. fast enough. You're just not pushing yourself. And, but I think we, you know, I, I think we build up in our heads and in, in our society and Hollywood and everything teaches us that, you know, it's just a straight line path to success. And then, you know, there, there should be no bumps on the road. It, it should come easy. If it doesn't come easy, then you're doing something wrong. And, and, and you know, it's almost like if you can't do it perfect, you, you shouldn't even bother. No, I think that's right. And I, and that is, or if it's, you know, and, and I think that leads people to think about when it's hard or if I have small failures or whatever that we bail out or we look for an easier path. And 
I, but I think, I think that makes the, at least from a career perspective. And I think from a life perspective, I also think though, that you should be taking risks and it's not easy, but the journey should feel worth it. And I think that's the piece that you have to put that all together. Like for me, as I was failing through all of these things, like the, the at least professionally, it felt like it was stuff. I, I mean, I was still pursuing things. The risks I was taking were things that I wanted to try or wanted to do or seizing an opportunity that that was presented to me that looked like it was moving me forward. Um, it didn't have, you know, it didn't have to suck. The failure sucked when it didn't work out. But I think if you are pursuing something that's meaningful to you, something that you enjoy, something, you know, I'm, I'm trying to trying desperately to coach my, my 21 year old son right now towards, you know, he, he's searching for like, what is, what is the thing I'm supposed to be doing career wise? What should I be studying? Um, and I keep trying to nudge him towards like, what, what do you, you know, find something that you enjoy doing, find something that you would do for free on the weekends. Because if you love what you're doing or you at least have some good interest in it, something you would want to do that will make everything feel so much better. And so I think that's a big part of making the risk feel worth it and making the failure worth it is pursuing something you care about or you're passionate about or that's meaningful to you professionally. Because that has been for me, I, you know, I describe what I do today as a calling. I don't know what else I could do. I'm so passionate about the work that I do it makes all the risks worth it. And so I think that's a really important part for people to reflect on. It's much harder when you, you're you not super passionate about the work you're doing. You're just trying to pursue that bigger paycheck or payoff or you know, I want to build a business and get rich. Like that's really hard unless you really care about the business or the people that you're serving and the way that you're serving them or whatever that is. Yeah, that it kind of turns something around in my head there, Jason. The way I hear you describe it, you know, it's often said that you know, do, do what you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. All, all those platitudes. But I, I don't know that it's like just because you're doing what you love, you'll be successful at it, and life will all be wonderful. But what I'm hearing you say is much more of kind of you know that that just gets you in the game. That's kind of the base level. That uh, not that it guarantees success, but that. Success is more likely because you're much more willing to endure and go through the hard times when it really sucks, when it's really difficult, when it's about something that you truly exactly. care about. That's exactly right. So so let me ask you this, Jason. Um, you, you, you've just dropped, I mean, <laughs> so many truth bombs here, so much great advice and, and perspective. How, how can the audience help you? You know, wh- uh, everyone listening to this, I, I mean... Social media is great because, you know, people can comment, people can reach out. Where are you stuck right now or, or what's your next step? Where how, how can people help? Well, it's a great, um, a great question. I, you know, I, I, what I what I would appreciate, I guess, is if if you like my style of thinking and or or you want your workplace or as a leader, you want to try to make the work experience for the people you lead better, more engaging, um, then go to my, go, go visit the website, jasonlortzen.com, sign up for my newsletter, stay in touch. And if you have an opportunity to refer my name to a conference that you're a part of as a potential speaker, that's great. You can go check out my videos and see if I'm for real, see what you think of what I do. 
Um, but that's that's the big thing. And I guess the other is I have a new I have a new book coming out in October that I am pretty proud of and pretty excited about called Unlocking High Performance that really unpacks a lot of the work that I do and kind of how to take that back to your organization. Um, go check that out, pre-order it, recommend it to your friends. That would be helpful as well. So those are the things right now that would be super helpful to me in, in uh, what I do. Nice. So, and let, let me build on that a little bit then, Jason, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of what you've de- described right then is, it would be easy, I think, for people to say, yeah, but you know what, I'm, I'm not in a leadership role. You know, I, I don't have control of the budget. I can't bring Jason in. Um, how does what you're doing and what you're talking about, how does that connect with someone who's maybe not in a, in a leadership role or, or a high level leadership role? How can they still benefit from, from your writing, from your speaking? Sure. Uh, I talk broadly about a lot of, of different things. And I think that we co-create, I mean, as a leader, obviously you have a disproportionate impact on, on affecting or shaping your workplace or the experience of other people. And so you can use, you can use that influence, but if you're not in a leadership position yet, you're still a leader and you still have influence. And a lot of what I write about often, some of it is very much geared towards the leader, but some of it is stuff that is just how do we do a better job of creating a workplace that works for everybody, that feels good to everybody. And we all participate in that, whether you're in a leadership leadership role or not, how you show up every day for your colleagues, um, how you show up with your boss can have a profound impact on the relationship you have with those people and the experience they have. And in turn, when you're, when you're investing positively in them, they'll invest positively in you. And so, so I think that's part of it. And, you know, feel free if, if there's something that's of interest or something you think is important, um, in what I write or what we share through the newsletter, part of the reason I write that stuff is to be conversation starters. So it's something you could use with your team or something you could forward to your manager to say, hey, I thought this was really interesting, thought you might enjoy it or might find it interesting. And maybe that starts a conversation that helps nudge them in the right direction if you're trying to, to help your leader lead better or create a better situation for you and, and your colleagues. So I think there's we all we all co-create. Culture doesn't happen on its own. Culture only exists uh, when we create it together as people in that work culture. And so we all play a role, and we can all play a bigger, more positive role if we're really intentional about how we show up and what we bring every day. Nice. Well, I think Jason, we are going to end it right there. You're awesome. I appreciate you spending some time with us today, and uh, we'll we'll get all that in the show notes. And I, of course, do recommend checking out out. Jason's work, uh, definitely one of my favorite speakers and writers when we're talking about engagement and talking about employment issues. Hey, thank you for listening to Imperfect Action today. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was. What what are you going to take from the show and put into action in your life right now today to help you move forward? Hit me up in the comments or on Twitter. I'm dying to hear how is this show helping you to move forward? Now, one of the things I want to mention was that today's episode was brought to you by NutraFit. Now, I tried NutraFit's whey protein supplement after meeting the founder and hearing about his journey and his commitment to quality. I like to support up-and-coming businesses, so I gave it a try, and I was really amazed at it. Now, I've had a lot of different protein drinks, but what made NutraFit different is, one, that it mixes immediately, and also that the chocolate flavor 
actually tasted like chocolate. You know, so often they taste that like some kind of chemical engineering science project rather than just like food. And on top of that, Nutrafit has no artificial sweeteners, colors, or preservatives. Plus, it includes probiotics, and I find it to be easy on the stomach. Now, the true taste test of it all is that my teenage daughter even likes it. She often has a shaker cup in the morning just on her way to school. Now, there are a lot of supplement brands on the market, but I do want to mention that Nutrafit happens to be my personal favorite. And as a listener of Imperfect Action, you get 15% off of any order. When you're at checkout, after you've picked out your products, just use the code TAKEACTION. And that's written as one word, just take action at checkout. Now, my personal favorite, and I'm not trying to influence you here, but is the double chocolate whey protein. And you can order right on Nutrafit's website. That's N-U-T-R-I-F-I-T-T. There's two T's in there. So Nutrafit.net. And let me know what you think.